Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. My name is Jake Hansa. Many of y'all may not know me. Uh, I, was, I served as a youth minister over at university for several years. And we uh, just, my wife and I, Jess, and our kids just placed membership several weeks ago and uh, honored and uh, blessed to be a part of the church here. And y'all been very, very gracious and sweet to us. So just want to say thank you. All right. Second Peter chapter three, verse 11 and 12. And I get a good verse this morning. This is exciting. Therefore, since all of these things will be dissolved, What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking and hastening the coming day of God, which of uh, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? God is good all the time. I like Jake's energy. He's he's a very upbeat fellow. usually takes a few cups of coffee for me to get to where he is naturally. I was thinking about old Andy this morning. I don't know if y'all know old Andy or not, Um, but a little boy in Sunday school class, the whole class was asked, you know, do you know what God's name is? One little boy raised his hand. Yes, he said, Andy, Andy. Why do you think his name is Andy? Andy walks with me. Andy talks with me. Andy tells me that I am his own. So every day, Derek, you led that song, and I was thinking about old Andy, whoever that is. One of the things that I don't think we do that they did in the first century, we don't place a high enough priority or premium on the reality that Jesus will come again. They anticipated, looked forward to, and believed that in their own lifetime, Jesus would come again. And they lived as if Jesus would come again. And the verse that Jake read a second ago actually urges us to live in such a way, keeping in mind what will become of this earth, these heavens and earth. Somebody who had studied this said, biblical prophecy provides us with the greatest encouragement and hope today. The Old Testament is saturated with prophecies concerning Christ's first coming. In the 260 chapters of the New Testament, there are 318 references to the second coming of Christ. That's a unique one out of every 30 verses. 23 of the 27 New Testament books refer to this event. For every prophecy in the Bible concerning Christ's first coming, eight look forward to his second. So think about this. the, The memory that pops to mind about this was some friends of ours who lived in Alabama, uh, but their parents lived in Tennessee. This was the the first congregation where I served. Uh, Wes and Mary Parker were the couple, and one of their daughters, uh, Heather, was married to an Army pilot. And we're talking 2007, I believe, is when uh, when this was occurring. But Brian Sexton, he was 
you know, a, a pilot for the army, and then he got to the point to where his job was to to fly uh, heads of state and and VIP type folks from around the different bases and whatnot. But during those days, his deployment had been, I think, 17 months or so. And he had a little girl. She wasn't but one or two. And so she had missed her daddy and not knowing really who her daddy was. And he had missed watching his little girl grow up. But anyway, they finally got the word when he was going to return to the States and where they could pick him up. And so they're there, and Heather and her three girls have on T-shirts that have Daddy's face on it, and they've got the banners, Welcome Home, Daddy. And there are pictures of Brian getting off the bus, and they just all hugging him. That's because they look forward to his return. They missed him. You and I have never met Jesus face to face, but we live by faith. And so living by faith, when you take into account what the Bible says, that Jesus will come again, do we look forward to that? Some of us may. Some of us may not really think much about it, but it's definitely something that we need to keep in our minds because it is a truth. It is a reality. And there's always the temptation, always the temptation to say, well, we've gone 2,000 years and he's not returned. So, you know, we don't know when it will be, but it's definitely not going to be in my lifetime. But will it? We don't know. Not even... The Lord Himself knew. That wasn't, uh, that wasn't given to Him. The Father knew when this time would be. But they anticipated it. They looked forward to it. And on the basis of that fact, they said, here's how you need to live. Live in such a way. And so, okay, since Jesus is returning, if your Bible's open to 2 Peter 3, we'll go through the whole chapter because Peter gives a pretty good outline as to what they should do. First of all, Since Jesus is returning, you need to be mindful of scoffers. Look at verses 1 through 7 with me. Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, in both which, excuse me, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. And of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are preserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So what people are saying now, well, it's been so long. They were saying in the days of Noah. God gave the commandment to Noah because all the earth had become sinful and corrupt and God wanted to He wanted to rectify this. He wanted to cleanse the earth. And when he created the heavens and the earth, you may recall, he built, it's called firmament in some versions, but it's really like a vault, uh, architectural term that was. And that vault held back the waters that separated the waters on the ground from the waters of the heavens. So he wanted to destroy the world and he gave Noah this command to build this ark. So Noah goes about building the ark as God had prescribed it. He didn't 
think of his own ingenuity. He said, well, I know God said use gopher wood, but I think oak would do a lot better, or pine or whatever you say. He said, no, God said gopher, I'm going to get gopher wood. So he got the gopher wood, and he made it to the exact specification that God had ordered him to do so. And you can imagine in, in, in Peter's epistles, he refers to Noah as a preacher of righteousness. Now, I've never read one of Noah's sermons. I've, I've never seen or found one of Noah's sermons. But you can imagine as he's building this ark, people are coming by. Noah, what are you doing? I'm building an ark. Why are you building an ark? Well, God told me because the whole earth is going to be flooded. <laughs> okay. Have y'all heard what Noah's doing? Hey, not only have you heard what, have you, have you heard what he said is going to happen? He said, God's going to flood the earth. <laughs> and a whole bunch of scoffers standing around and they go, yeah, uh, you know, Noah, he's, he's a little, he's a certain age. He's, he's a little, a little off his rocker. So we, you know, take it. And so they go by every day, every day. And, and, and they see, well, he's making progress and Noah may turn and he may say, you know, uh, repent. God is going to destroy the earth by flood. You need to be sure to get on the earth. And people just go, okay, Noah, okay, all right. You know, doing a good job, nice. You're, you're a good craftsman. Maybe when you're done with the ark, I got a barn that needs building. Maybe I can get you to do that. But no sermons. But he goes on and he builds the ark. Meanwhile, the scoffers are scoffing. They're passing him by. Don't really want anything to do with it. But how many of them do you think, when he got in that ark and shut the door and the rain started falling, they went, uh-oh. I saw... I forgot. I, now, I'm not going to get this entirely correct, but uh, there was this, uh, this picture of these, these, uh, uh, these two apes, and it said something to the effect of, we should desire to be saved and go to heaven as if we're one of the two apes fighting to get on the ark. Something along that line, I don't know. But uh, the, the, the point is, the day of judgment will come, and the question is, am I, are you ready for the day of judgment? Because here's our emphasis right now. <clears throat> so you, you're in school, you graduate school, and you're either going to go uh, uh, become a tradesman, you're going to go to college, or maybe you just go enter the workforce. And so now you think, okay, I'm at this stage in my life, maybe now uh, it's time for marriage. And okay, we get to the marriage stage. of Do we want to have children? Okay, now we get to the, we're having children stage. Meanwhile, we've got to do well at work so that we can advance, so that we can make more money, so that we can have a nice house. Oh, we need to start putting away for retirement. It'll sneak up on you before you know it. So we're planning for the stages of our life, but what about the point at which you and I will cease to breathe, or Jesus will return. What about that stage? Have you prepared for that stage? You've got your insurances, you've got your disability, you've got your retirement, Roth IRA, 401k, whatever uh, cultish letters there are to your retirement account. And you prepare all these. I went for a test the other day at the, at the hospital. The lady asked me, do you have a living will? Uh, yeah. Where is it? It's at home. I'm like, that's a funny question. They're just going to do a scan. I mean, what, am, I, am I about to die? And she was like, here, you need this in the event that we have to admit you. I'm like, what's going to go wrong? You know, it's just a simple scan. You get in the thing, it takes a scan. 
but this lady is preparing me as if you're going to be admitted, do you have a living will in case you're brain dead and we need to do something? I'm like, wow, y'all go a little overblown, okay? A little, but yeah, they dot your I's, cross your T's. So she was getting me ready for this. And we all get ready for the various things, but have you gotten ready for the day that you're going to meet Jesus? That is what is so important. Not everybody is friendly to our faith. Some look at it and scoff at it. They go, oh, you're outdated. You're so traditional. You should be more affirming. You should be more tolerant, etc., and so forth. And so they scoff at us because of how we try to follow the Lord and what He teaches versus what society would have us to buy into. Some refer to our faith as a myth. Some say, I don't know why you believe in some pie-in-the-sky fellow that you can't even see. They know enough about it to criticize it, and they'll mock us for it. But let's remember that even religious people did this to Jesus. If you think about how you are ever treated in life, religiously or not, I guarantee you Jesus dealt with it. You've got people who don't like you to talk about you and you're doing the best you can and you're like, why don't they like me? Not everybody like Jesus. I'm trying to do the Lord's work, but you know, some of the brethren of the church are giving me a hard time about it. They did that to Jesus as well. So don't be surprised that unbelievers would act as unbelievers. Someone once wrote, is there a hope when hope is taken away? Is there a hope when the situation is hopeless? That question leads us to Christian hope. For in the Bible, hope is no longer a passion for the possible. It becomes a passion for the promise. Big difference. So first of all, be mindful that there will be scoffers. They were there in the days of Noah. They're here among us now. But just as the rains fell from the heaven on that day, so too the Lord will return and God will do His work as he has promised. Secondly, I got to remember that God's timing is not mine. Verses eight and nine. But beloved, don't forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord isn't slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So these scoffers, they go, well, you know, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus was here. Uh, it's, time's going to keep on going on and so forth. You go, God's timing is not my timing. It's not your timing. And I know we wish we could change that, don't we? Right? It's like that. I don't know if they still have these commercials, but years ago they used to have these J.G. Wentworth commercials. Uh, and some of the silliest commercials you'd ever watch. You'd have them on a bus and you'd have opera singer, but anyway, you know, it'll always start with, it's my money and I want it now. And then they would go and all that and all that stuff, you know. Uh, And J.G. Wentworth was the one who promised he was going to get you your money and your money now. So whatever you want, you know, God's timing is not mine. It's not yours either. He is not beholding to our schedules. And I know sometimes we would like for God's timing to be ours because when God does something or doesn't do something, we're kind of left going, well, God didn't answer my prayer. Maybe he did. Yes is an answer to a prayer. No is an answer to a prayer. Wait a little while. Not now is an answer to a prayer. 
Well, this happened and I, I thought God in this moment would, well, maybe God didn't have plans for that moment, but maybe he's got something ahead. His timing is not our timing. He told Noah when to get in the ark because God is never late. Abraham and Sarah believed their chances of having a child were gone, but God showed them differently because God is never late. When the army surrounded Dothan and Elijah's, Elisha's servant despaired at their sight, the prophet prayed that his servant could see the host of heaven surrounding them because God is never late. When Lazarus lay in the tomb and Mary and Martha feared that it was over, but that at the resurrection he will be there, Jesus showed up and said, Lazarus, come forth. God is never late. He's not early, but he's always on time. His time, not mine, not yours. So when I keep that in mind, that urges me more so to be prepared to be ready because I don't know what God's timing is. These 2,000 years that have passed, Peter says, one day is as a thousand years with the Lord. His timing is not mine. Third, I've got to be ready. Look at verses 10 through 14 with me. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. Uh, verses 17 and 18. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away by the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to notice, if you just look through this chapter, the, the, the number of times that the word of the Lord is mentioned. For example, verses 1 and 2, I write to you in my second epistle, verse 2, the, the, uh, the words spoken by the holy prophets. Uh, verses 5 through 7, they, they willfully ignore the scriptures in the creation account and the warning that is recorded back then. Verse 16 uh, mentions the, the scriptures that Paul has written in which there are some things that are difficult to, to understand. So the point is, my growth in God correlates to his word and how I live his word and, and how I know his word. He mentions holy conduct. Now, I, you may know about this. I didn't know about it, and I thought it was pretty fascinating. Uh, in the forests of northern Europe and Asia, there lives a little animal called the, the ermine, or ermine, however you want to say that. And it's known for its snow-white fur in the winter. So the, the ermine instinctively protects 
his white coat against anything that would soil it. So when hunters want to catch an ermine, what they do is they will take some mud, some muck or whatnot, and they will put it around the entrance to the ermine's little den. And because they live in the cleft of the rock or a hollow usually, when they cake that stuff around and the ermine goes back to its home, it is so concerned with the whiteness of its coat that it won't go through if it's dirty because it doesn't want to get its coat uh, uh, grimy or, or smeared. And so then the hunters will set their dogs loose to find and chase the ermine. And this, this animal flees towards its home, but it can't enter because of the filth. It would rather die and preserve its purity than to be soiled. Because for the ermine, purity is more precious than life. Think about that when Peter says, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct? We think about this, this ermine, and there are various passages throughout Scripture where clothing is a metaphor for sin. Uh, for example, Zechariah chapter 3 is one passage that springs to mind. The priest Zechariah, excuse me, Joshua in the book of Zechariah, uh, he is wearing soiled clothing and just dirty. And, and in that scene, Satan is standing right next to him, kind of pointing, going, look at how dirty this guy is, because that dirt, that filth represents the sins of Israel. And so God goes over and, and, and removes has an angel removed the filthy clothing and put fresh clothing on him, removing his sins and making him pure and whole again? And then you read in the book of Isaiah as to what God will do uh, as it regards Israel, how he will adorn Israel as a bride that is arrayed for her groom. Then there's the, the parable that Jesus tells of the, the feast where visitors come in, but yet there's someone there that's improperly dressed. And that person is removed and thrown out and suffers the, the uh, gnashing of their teeth. So you often have this metaphor. So if we could see beyond just our physical clothing, how would we appear? Would we appear rather clean or would we appear dirty? That's the question each of us must ask and answer. Finally, I need to discern, discern what is being taught. Verses 15 and 16. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to his wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which un untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they also do the rest of the scriptures. So I'm listening right now to a, uh, an episode of a podcast and there are two Christians and two Muslims and they are, it, it was supposed to be a conversation but it has quickly turned into a debate. One of the Christians lived in Morocco and he was Muslim uh, but he looked at Muhammad, he looked at Jesus, and he's, he, he listed all his complaints with Muhammad, and he chose to follow Jesus. He obeyed the gospel. And so now he had to leave his country because Moroccan Christians are persecuted. They would meet 
they would meet in secret so nobody knew where they were. So he eventually, because of persecution, he fled to Germany, and then from Germany he came to the United States. And so they're having this discussion of, of, their, their, uh, of the scriptures and, and of the Quran and the Hadith and everything. And of course, the, one of the Muslim guys was raised in, in a Christian way, but he converted to Islam. Well, they're, they're having these discussions, and I'm, Stephanie was with me. I'm sitting there listening to this stuff, and I'll cut it off every occasion. I'm like, if he would just say this, or he has already said that. You know, the, 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 the Muslim guy, he, he is quoting Scripture or reading from Scripture, and he's trying to, you know, he's like, oh, I got you now. But the, but the Christian is going, you do not know how to read Scripture. That's not the way that you re read Scripture. You read the Quran as if every single word is from Allah, and, and you're supposed to do it. But you see, in the Old Testament, there 3,000 years ago, there was a way of doing things. But when Jesus shows up, he gives us a new way. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, you have heard it said to you, but I say to you. But they're like, well, in your Old Testament, your Jesus, your God says to do this and this horrible thing. Da, 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 da. So they're going back and forth, and I'm sitting there listening, and I'm just like, toast heaven. I said, I wish they would have invited me on. I could help so much with the Christian side. But they're taking the scriptures and they're twisting them to try to make their own faith look better. And so there are a lot of people, they know, do you know the one verse that everybody knows, atheist, Christian, secular, whatever? Judge not that you be not judged. They all know that verse, but they don't read the rest of the chapter. But they know that verse. So people will take the scriptures and they will twist them some way, just as they did Paul's epistles just as they do the rest of the scriptures. So one of my teachers had this saying, and his saying was, eat the fish, throw away the bone. Whenever you hear someone preach or teach, there, will, there may be things that are true that you should accept, so eat the fish. But there also may be things that that's not entirely correct or true. Okay, that's the bone, throw away the bone. So we have to be a discerning people. And the, the, here's the sad thing. In the book of Hosea, the Lord says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And he goes on to say, because they have rejected knowledge. Christians are not as biblically literate these days. And that's sad. You can sing the star-spangled banner without missing a beat. You can recite the Pledge of Allegiance verbatim, but how many of you, without missing a word, can recite the Lord's Prayer? Where is our emphasis? I guarantee all of us have multiple Bibles somewhere throughout our house, and I'm willing to bet that a good portion of them are gathering dust. Meanwhile, as Brother Don Iverson has pointed out to us, they are trying to get copies of the Bible translated into some of the local dialects in India. I saw this video. There was some remote tribe. I, I can't remember where it was. I think maybe South America. Uh, and they knew how to read, but they didn't have Scripture in their language. And so this, this uh, missionary had undertaken to have their scriptures translated 
and ha- so that they could have a Bible. So this little bitty plane comes into the airstrip and lands, and there is a whole bunch of people standing there. And when that plane lands, they start jumping and rejoicing because they know on that plane is a box of Bibles that they can read in their own language. And so the plane ferries in and stops. He cuts off the engine and, you know, the pilot opens the door and he's got several boxes and he sets that box down. They rip those boxes open. Some of those people run over. They are given one Bible per household. One Bible per household. They take that Bible. Many of them start crying. They're kissing it. They're embracing it. They're hugging it. Meanwhile, what do we do? We collect them. Don't open them. The preacher says, turn here, and you go, where is that? One preacher, he encouraged his audience, his audience, his congregation. He said, I want you to read Mark chapter 17 for next week's lesson. Mark chapter 17. And so next Sunday he comes and he asks, How many of you read Mark 17? Now, if you don't get it, there are only 16 chapters in Mark, okay? How many of you read Mark 17? Raise your hands, and people raise their hands. He said, y'all with your hands up are liars. And they're like, what? He said, there is no 17th chapter. He said, but you didn't know that. But you wanted to do right. Tim McGraw says, to live like you were dying. It's not bad advice. But living like you're dying in his context is more of do the things that you want to do that you need to do. Some people say live in the moment. Others say live and let live or lead with your heart. Someone may say live life to the fullest. And you can probably think of others. But why not leave as if Jesus is coming again? When the children were smaller, we... Sometimes at an age they could stay at home alone. Usually when mom and I would go out to either run errands, to shop or whatever, sometimes it was a date night, we'd say, okay, while we're going, we want you to have these things done, you know, and and just get this stuff done before we get back, okay? So we'd go away and, and come back. More often than not, the things were done. There are a few times the things weren't done. Why aren't these done? Oh, yeah, why aren't they done? Watch this. Y'all have all seen this. As parents, you've seen this, right? Have you seen that? Why did you? You know, that's universal, you know. Well, they know that if they do those things when you get home, well and fine. But they also know that if you don't do those things by the time that they get home, well, there's going to be a little bit of punishment that comes with it. But when Jesus returns, will he have found you to have done what you needed to do? There are two ways to ask this. First, to those of you that are not Christians. Man, I can't tell you how much I want you to be a Christian. I want to see you in the kingdom of heaven. I want you to have eternal life. And I want to to say to all of you, if you've got a relative, um, pray about it but also talk to your relative, whatever they may be, and encourage them. Because start with a question, have you ever thought about becoming a Christian? To have your sins washed away, to be forgiven, to, to, to be a child of God. 
And if you haven't, will you think about it? And if you want to do it, you know, sometimes I've learned that uh, if you will just talk to the person, a lot of times they're just waiting for that one person to talk to them. Now, it used to be decades ago when you offered the invitation at the end of every sermon, you would have people that would want to be saved. The invitation is probably a little outdated because nobody really wants to come forward. And no wonder. Uh, one of my coworkers uh, from a previous ministry told me this. He said, I would go to church with his then wife, his now wife, but then girlfriend. He said, and I wasn't a Christian. And the, the preacher would always tell me, you know, if you believe in the Lord, you repent of your sins, you confess that Jesus is the only Son of God, and you're baptized, your sins are washed away, and you'll become a child of God. He said, and I kind of wanted to do it, but while he was saying these things, people were packing up. He said, and then when he said, stand and sing, some people were just walking out. And I thought, well, if it's not important enough to them, it probably shouldn't be to me. We have the same thing. And I know you, some people have to, some of the teachers want to get to the classes and, and other things. Uh, so I want to put the emphasis on us speaking individually to people and not expecting it to happen here so much. Because if it does happen here, that's great. We're all going to rejoice. But there are too many distractions. People packing up. People exodusing the, the, the auditorium during that particular moment. But there was this one brother. He's a brother now. He wasn't then. And uh, I performed his and his wife's wedding, uh, Hannah and Jesse. And I'll, I'll quit talking after this. Obviously, we'll have an invitation, and, and I want you to respond if you want to be saved. Uh, but if anything, talk to your people. It is a loving thing to talk to someone who isn't saved and encourage them to be saved. It is unloving to never say a thing. Okay? So, been talking to Jesse, having Bible studies with Jesse. Jesse was a great guy. And so we had gotten done the Bible studies and so forth. And, uh, but Jesse wasn't ready. Now, when someone says, I'm not ready, I'll go, is there something you know, that, that's holding you back? Is, is there a particular sin that maybe you're struggling with or any questions or doubts that you may have? And, you know, we go through the whole thing. Well, we had Jesse and Hannah over to the house, and um, I'm not a forceful person with this. You know, I have faith that God will work, but I've got I've to uh, plant that seed and water it sometimes. So we're sitting there and, you know, they were fine to be friends and be around us because I'm not that kind of berating guy. But we were so, so, so Stephanie and Hannah were in the kitchen uh, doing stuff and Jesse and I were sitting in the living room and we were just cutting up and, uh, you know, as, as immature grown men tend to do. And so I, I just looked over, I said, I said, Jesse, have you thought any more uh, about being saved? Now, Jesse, he is as country as a game. He said, well, you know, I have. And so I pointed. I said, Jesse, you won't go? Jesse said, yeah. I said, all right, let's go. So we walked from the church house to the church. 
and Jesse obeyed the gospel. And it was because I took the time just to talk to him. Don't ever underestimate your ability to help someone get there. Because someone got us there too. So I invite you to obey the gospel and to become a child of God. And dear Christian, if you are not as reflecting on these things, if you are not yet ready, I encourage you to repent and be ready. And if we can assist you, we will. Just come to the front as we stand and sing.